Good morning, familia. I mean, with that type of intro, it's like ominous, right? You like, man, that's going to be good. So I better not bomb this morning, amen? Good morning, good morning. Do me a favor. We are in our series in the book of Acts, so turn with me to Acts 15. All right. funny. I have everything down on paper, but yet I still like to have my Bible open just in case I see something that I have to say. Once again, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. We ask that you would bless our time together. Thank you for the rain, that we could still gather and worship together in your presence and with each other. May this message be fruitful to everyone and anyone, especially to those even listening online with us this morning. We thank you. And everyone said? Amen. 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 Think about it. It's been uh, six months now. It's been a good six months. So for you guys that are new, I'm Pastor Santiago. I'm the associate pastor. Just joined here six months ago. So, yes. Love being here. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you, especially for the last month uh, with Angie's dad passing. You know, you guys all reached out and loved us. So again, I just want to express that to all of you. Thank you for your prayers, for the meals, for the hugs, uh, for everything. Uh, we are getting through it together. Amen? When you think about salvation, right, it's a big idea. How are we saved? And the truth is, we're all saved the same way, whether past tense, Old Testament, future tense, we're all saved the same way. In fact, it's real simple to remember, okay? I'm going to point to you, and I want you to say one word this morning, because I need you to help me preach. When I go like this to you, you have to say the word really loud, and with anger, you got to say the word silly, Okay? It's by grace. Okay, no, that's terrible. Okay, wake up. Ready? It's by grace. Thank you. All right, so let's practice that because that's what it's all about. Remember, Pastor Dell taught us last couple of weeks, we moved to Acts 13 and 14. Paul went on the first missionary journey, and as they went out, they went out in power and proclaiming the word of God for persecution also came because of the proclamation of the gospel. But I believe God used that persecution to continue to spread the church, you know? Here we are, now we're back, and we're getting ready for the second missionary journey. But before something happens, we go to Acts chapter 15. Let me ask you, did I ever share with you my story of my first year as a Christian? It was... Uh, Unique. I just gotten out of the Marine Corps, and I was home. I signed up for college. I was waiting to go to school, and I got a job at the local mall as a 22-year-old working at the Gap. So if you ever went to the Gap, I was the guy selling you jeans and shirts, okay? Well, I met a couple recently after that named Ruben and Eva Cuevas. They presented the gospel to me, and, and because of them, I placed my faith in Christ August 
1992 was unique because I went to go, I, I met this couple, and they invited me over, and I'm in their living room, and they said, hey, read this. And I read for the first time Luke 15, the prodigal son. How many have ever read that, right? And I read that thing, and I go, oh, my gosh, that's me. I'm that guy with my face in the trough eating garbage. And I was just convicted by, really, for about a couple of weeks, two or three weeks. I was like, oh, my gosh. And they were like, hey, come to church, come to church. I'm like, uh, if I go to church, I want to go to church for me. I don't want to be forced into it, you know. I'm going to tell you the truth. Reuben's daughter, I was dating Reuben's daughter, you know. And she's like, come to church with me. And I was like, oh, you're pretty, but not that pretty, you know. Like, no, you know, no, you know. My wife is there, okay, so I got to be good, Yeah. No, and I was like, okay. And I just showed up on August, one Sunday morning. It was so funny because I was literally waiting for the pastor. I, I was the first one to show up at church that morning. I just remember it was August. It was Sunday. It was 1992. Pastor walks in. He's walking up the steps to the church, and I'm sitting there right there. And he's like, can I help you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm here for church. And he goes, okay. And he let me in the building, and I sat in a sanctuary about the same size as this, and I was just sitting there going, okay, what's going to happen? What I didn't realize is that I had given my life to Christ previously as a 14, 15-year-old freshman. But what happened, I never got discipled, never got taught the things of God. So I was like, Ugh. And the unique thing was, and this is the cool thing, that when I came forward, because this pastor of this small little church like us, Gave an altar call, and I was the only one coming forward. And I looked at my girlfriend at the time and said, hey, I'm going to go forward. And she's like, really? And I said, yes, really? And I walked forward kind of down the aisle here, and I was like right here. And the associate pastor came and put his arm around me and said, son, let's pray. And I'm, you know, I'm crying really good. You know, you know that, kind, that kind of conviction you have? And it's just not like, uh, but I was like, uh, and boogers are coming out. It was just like. It was, you know, the kind of good, healthy, you know, like, oh, my gosh, I needed a towel, not a tissue. You know, it was just bad. Because I was convicted by all the silly things I had done. And the cool thing was, we prayed with the pastor there. And just as if a long friend that I hadn't seen in years was standing right there five feet from me, I looked over to my right. And I told the Holy Spirit, I remember you. Now imagine, there's no one standing there, right? But when God's presence filled the room, I was like, I remember you. I remember you. That was August 1992. Even though that happened to me, you know, I was on fire for Christ. I was attending Bible study every week. I was going to... And I was just like, okay, what's next? What's next? But during my first year as a Christian, I struggled a lot. Because remember, as a 22-year-old boy, I was like, eh, how do you do this? How do you do that? And I was struggling with a lot of personal issues. I was very confused about some things, about God, especially my salvation. I didn't know that Christ paid it all. I didn't know that when God forgave me, he forgave me past, present, and future. Amen? I didn't know that. You know, 
I had a lot of anger issues. I felt shame about my past. I thought to myself, God, I'm not good enough for you. And I was allowing my feelings to tell me what was true. The first months as a Christian, I struggled. As much as I tried living a life the way I knew, I was still used, I would, you know, still trying to party on the weekends. But it became an endless cycle of pain and frustration. I would come back week after week and run to the altar, confessing my sin to God and then praying, am I still your son, God? Do you still forgive me? Do you still love me? I think I asked God to save me at least 20 times that first year as a believer. Anybody ever been there? Come on. I'm not the only one, right? You got to tell the truth and shame the devil this morning, okay? Help me. Well, you be, that first year of being a Christian, man, that was, that was hard. It was just me talking to myself and feeling like I didn't measure up. So let's talk about us. That came to the outside voices, right? The outside voices, you know these people, who they are. That was me internally first, but then there was outside voices, people telling me stuff. You know, when you think about it, they were like, hey, how about this? How about that? You know, you're, you're kind of screwed up because you're, you're, you're doing this. So let me ask you, how many of you ever heard this? Hey, uh, you know, when you go to church, you have to wear sanctified clothing. Come on. You know? Man, if... if, if, if uh, we have a grandpa, and well, Angie has a grandpa, right? He's 97 years old, Korean War vet, right? He still doesn't believe I'm a pastor. You know why? Yeah, no, because I have a beard. And he goes, and I'm like, hey, hint, Jesus had a beard. <laughs> right? They t silly stuff like that, right? But I didn't wear, you know, I didn't wear a suit. I remember the first time, I, yeah, I graduated Bible college, and what's the first thing I went and bought? I went and bought suits. Because, right, that's what pastors wear, right? Pastors wear suits. Yeah. Every time I would wear a suit and I'd go, you know, on Sunday and I'd go in the community, everybody thought I was the police. They're like, that's the undercover detective. Why? Because only detectives are around here wearing suits, you know? Context, people, context, right? I was like, I didn't know. That was the last time I wore suits. My hair, okay, how about this? Your hair is too long, okay? And then I even got it done. God help you if you had a beard, right? Or how about if you had an earring on? Okay, this is my favorite one. Ladies, you can't wear makeup, okay? Now think about it. If God is not bigger than a tube of lipstick, then we should get a different Jesus, amen? Right? That's what I remember hearing these things. And then there was this one. Oh, you're reading the wrong Bible. You got to read King James only. I remember even this. This was even in Bible college. When I was in Moody, tell, I was in Moody. I was a pastoral studies major. So guess what we, as all the pastoral studies majors, we preached or we studied or we carried, most of us carried an NIV Bible. How many of you guys got an NIV Bible? Look at that, right? But you know what's funny? The Bible theology guys, they thought they were smarter than us, 
and better than us? They all read NSAB. How many got a new American standard? See, yeah. <laughs> Pastor Dale was like, I remember those days, right? It was like, no, you guys are inferior because you read NIV. Like, oh my gosh, right? Or they would argue about what denomination you belong to. Then it was the church you went to. Then it was the style of music you listened to. Come on, I know I'm not the only one. You guys have never heard this? Come on, please, right? Oh, no, we, you know, if you're really godly, you only listen to hymns, you know? And God forbid if you put a set of drums on the stage, because you know you're going to hell now, right? Like, oh, my gosh. All that they talked about. Then it was when you were baptized. Were you baptized in the name of Jesus, or were you baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Right? And some people think heaven is just for them and no one else. Oh, I don't know about you. I know I'm going to heaven, but I don't know about you. I'm like, this guy's like, but you're a Southern Baptist. And the other guy's like, yeah, but you're Assemblies of God. Yeah, you're all related. Okay? Please, show hands. You ever heard this stuff? Look at that, right? The church calls it, we call it legalism. How many have heard that term, right? You know, they come up and they make these man-made rules to say, hey, you got to do this. You got to do that, you know? And if you're not doing this or that, I don't know, I don't, I don't think you're saved. I don't think you're saved. Have you ever been told these things? You ever think like me? They all had to add up with these things to salvation. The Apostle Peter said it best. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me say that again. This is what Peter says. We believe that we all will be saved through the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, you know we weren't the first group of Christians to ever experience this silly stuff. But instead of looking to ourselves, right, for an answer, turn with me to Acts 15. Let's see what God says about it. Amen? Come on. Look at it. Acts 15. We're going to be in verses 1 through 21. Let's look at it. See what God says. Here's the problem. Verse 1. Here's the problem. But some men came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Hmm. Right from the beginning... People were always trying to add to the cross of Christ. These men were doing just that. They were holding the law higher than Christ, trying to justify their own prejudice against others at the same time trying to make themselves feel good about themselves. Notice they weren't outsiders, right? These were people within the same congregation. Like a, they weren't a different religion. They weren't anything else. These were men from the church who were still trying to justify their own basis or biases, okay, for their importance. They were called the Judaizers. How many of you guys remember these guys, right? The book of Galatians is completely against this. The whole book of Galatians was written just because of these guys. Why? Because they were trying to always add stuff. Do this, do that, do this, do that. And it's like, no, it's just grace. These are the, are now, look at the arguments 
that come up that answer this question. That was the problem. Look at, let's look at three arguments that come from the text instead of ourselves, and let's see what God says about, uh, about salvation. First argument. This is Paul and Barnabas make an argument, verses 2 through 4. It says this, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debated with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about the question. So being sent on their way to the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Paul and Barnabas make an argument. Ready? From the experience. First, they had to have a huge fight over the issue of salvation. In verse 2, they were told, you're going to have to go down to Jerusalem and argue over there now. Hey, the guys, the apostles want to hear, Paul, what you're saying. You got to go over there. When Peter and James and the rest of the brothers, so they left to Antioch as they were going down to Jerusalem, and they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria. This was a distance of about 250 miles, which would have taken them about one month traveling, okay? And as they traveled and went back to the churches, they first started from the persecution and spread it to the early parts. They were like, okay, remember everything that happened, Acts 13, 14? Let's go back and see all those churches. Make sure that they're still doing good. And they told in detail what God had did through them and brought back great joy to all of them, even Peter, James, and John, except those of the Pharisees in verse 5. They rose up and said, that nice, that's nice, but you still have to follow that law. Oh, we're glad the, the Greeks are getting saved and the Italians, but remember, they have to become Jews first. Like, no, no, they don't. They were saying this before they had become. You have to become, to become a Christian, you have to become a Jew first. Has anyone ever told you to do this? Before you become a believer in Christ, oh, you got to do this. You got to do that. No, you don't. To become a Christian, all you have to do is put your faith in Christ. I remember being told these things. Oh, you got to dress like this. I mean, I'm preaching up here in jeans. Man, that's crazy, right? I was actually hoping for outside. Because, I, you know, I was like, man, I've never preached in shorts, you know? <laughs> right? I was waiting for, I was like, yes, I'm going to get to preach in shorts and flip-flops. Because Jesus wore flip-flops, you know? Like, man, and it rained. So I didn't get to do it. So I'm kind of dressed kind of, kind of pastoral, right? You know? But they tell us all these silly things sometimes. The girls, right? Girls, ladies, you have to wear skirts. Any godly woman would not be caught dead wearing pants, okay? Ask my wife. Can I tell them about what you used to do? She said yes. You know, my wife grew up in this, you know, and, it's, and God bless if you do it, that's fine. But I remember she told me she would wear it go to school, take off the skirt, and put on pants, right? She was 13, 14 years old, right? And you could always tell who the Christian kids were at the high schools. You could, because they were the only ones 
they looked and dressed different. And like, oh, there they go. They acted like everybody else, but they had this outside veneer that was fake, you know? And it's like, no. When we go back to the church, Paul, and Paul said, let's go back and see what they're doing, right? You couldn't believe what God would say to these people. If you want to be a Christian, you got to become a Jew first. No. Think about all the people who are saying like that. Not enough. It wasn't enough they had to die for you. Now you have to, add, have to try to add to the cross. Okay? And that's what sometimes people do. Oh, we got to do this. We got to do that. Nothing could ever be added to the cross. Why? Because it's by grace. Silly. Come on, say it again. It's by grace. Yeah. It's a simple one-point message today. You can't, you can't lose it today. There it is. It's by grace, silly. That's how you get saved. Only by grace. Not by doing anything else. Not by what you wear. Not by what church you go to. Not by what Bible you read. Not by how much you give in the tithe. None of that matters. And what matters, where did you put your faith in? It's in Christ. Here's a second argument. Look at what happens. Second argument. Then Peter makes an argument, verses 6 through 11. The apostles and the elders were gathered together and to consider the matter. And after they had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth, think about it, this is Peter, by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe, verse 8. And then God knows the heart and bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit. Just as he did to us. He made no distinction between them and us. Having cleansed their hearts by what? By faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Think about that. Peter just got right to the bottom. He goes, man... We couldn't do it. Why are you putting the rules on them? They can't do it. We've never done it. It's not, it's not going to happen. And here's the thesis or the main part of this whole section. Verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. There's no distinctions. Us and them, Jew and Gentile, black and white, rich and poor, Democrat, Republican, I don't care. How do you get saved? It's by grace. Yeah. Don't be silly. It's only by grace. Look at Peter's response. He refocused them onto what God allowed him to do, to share the gospel with, remember, Cornelius in Acts chapter 10? He tells them that God used him to reach the Gentiles. He couldn't believe it at first that God would save Gentiles because he argues about being in Cornelius' house. Oh, I can't go in your house. You're a Gentile. Oh, I can't do that. But God shows up and messes up the whole plan, and he saves an entire Italian family. Family, Amen? I praise God we have the Italians, man. You know? You might look at them from the outside, but God can only see the inside of the man and determine his intent. God gave the Holy Spirit as a down payment of their inheritance. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6 says, The mystery is this. That the Gentile are heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the whole mystery. That us and them, Jew and Gentile, are saved by the same grace. 
And it was always that plan from the beginning. So don't ask them to be like us when God accepts them just the way they are. Amen? Ain't that cool that God looks at you and says, ah, I love you. You're good with me. You don't have to do anything else. Just believe. Come on. Just believe. Verse 11, again, serves as the center of this passage. We believe that we will be saved through grace. Let me talk a little bit about grace. Grace is defined as God's unmerited favor, meaning you don't deserve it, right? You're going to get it anyway. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Peter says there's no difference between us and them in verse 9. No difference, okay? No one is saved by observing rules and regulations. It's by grace that you've been saved. Silly. Come on. You're not going to get saved anywhere else. Verse 10, don't add anything to God's grace. You can't. You won't. Because if you did, how much would you have to do? Then why would Christ, why would God have to sacrifice his son? If you could do it yourself. You can't. You have to rely on God's grace. They all felt quiet, and then James gets up. You got Peter's argument. I mean, Paul and Barnabas' argument from experience. You got Peter's argument, okay? Now James, the brother of Christ, is going to stand up, right? James argues from the Old Testament. This is great. James is smart because they're trying to use the Old Testament to make a case for circumcision. James uses their own weapon of the Old Testament to make a case for Peter and the Gentiles. Verses 15 through 19. Listen to this. And when the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, verse 16, after this, I will return and rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, and I will rebuild the ruins, and I will restore it. Verse 17, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Hey, if they're coming to Jesus, let them come as they are. Don't put anything extra on them. Don't make them wear this or do that or say this or eat that. Don't worry about it. Just let them come. If you look at the text, you'll see wonderful things. Again, James quotes Amos, a prophet long recognized by the people. Okay? To argue with James would be to deny the authenticity of their own scripture. Because if they say something against James, when James is quoting the Old Testament, they're like, oh, we can't do that now. They have to acknowledge that God from the beginning was choosing the Gentiles to be part of the family and saved from the beginning of time. Regardless of where they came from, they couldn't deny it. Now you see the work that's being done. It's God. God is doing all the work. God says, I will return. I will rebuild. I will restore. It's God doing it. The only thing we do is receive it. Amen? That's all we do. That's all we do. You can't do anything else. If you try, you're adding to the grace of God, and you can't. If God, who does all the work, he returns to us, even when we don't deserve it, he rebuilds the broken, messed up parts of our lives. Amen? He lives for his glory, not our happiness. He restores us to God and given position, even when we're through it and we don't deserve it. Let me finish like this.
I don't know if you've ever been in parts of the country, right? Different parts, south, north, midwest, Alaska. Sometimes it gets a little crazy, right? Sometimes you go through towns that are even smaller than ours, you know? Long Grove is a beautiful town. So one day, this young lady was driving through Long Grove. Unfortunately, she was doing 70 and a 55, right? Thank God she didn't hit the bridge, right? And it really would have been expensive. So she was caught and given a ticket for $100. $100 fine or spend the weekend in jail. She couldn't pay the $100 fine, so she was taken before the judge right down the street. She pleaded for mercy, but the law is the law and cannot be changed for anyone. So she asked if she could do anything, right? The judge then removed his cloak, right? Placed his, placed his jacket on. He went to her, reached in his wallet, pulled down 100 bucks, put it right down, okay? Young lady, you have been found guilty for doing 70 and a 55. The law is the law. You cannot change it. The law says you have to pay $100 or spend the weekend in jail. But look, somebody has paid the price for you, okay? He went back, took his jacket off, sat there, says all these good things to her. See, this is what God did. He got up from his throne up in heaven and unzipped his deity, came down to us. Amen? And what does he do? He pays the price that you and I could not pay. Then he rose from the dead. And the beautiful thing, he zipped up his glorified body and he ascended back to the throne. The good news is the price has been paid, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing else you could do. That's it. This is what Paul was telling them. If you believe the cross is inefficient, for your salvation, then you're in danger because you're trying to add things to the gospel that should not be added. You cannot be added. The only thing you could do is trust. I believe in the gospel of Christ. Paul, Paul makes an argument. Peter makes an argument. And then James comes and finishes it. Right? Because we're saved by grace. Yeah. That's all how we're saved. Cannot get saved any other way. This is what Paul was coming to. This is what Acts 15 is about in the first couple of verses. He tells them there is no other way. So do me a favor. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads and let's close in prayer? I know all of us, many of us have grown up in a tradition. Many traditions here. Maybe we were taught different things. Maybe you still like doing those traditions. And if you're doing it for the sake of tradition, that's great. But if you're doing it for the sake of earning brownie points with God, let me warn you, it's never going to be enough. The only thing you can do is trust in Christ because he paid it all. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter where you're going. It doesn't matter how much money you make or where you live. 
None of that matters. The only thing that matters is that a loving God gave his one and only son for us. And he calls us to believe in him. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. That we do not have to add anything to the cross because it's paid in full. The telestai, it's all done. There's nothing else that I could do. Just believe. And with the good work that you started in me, you're going to be faithful to complete it all the way to the end. Heavenly Father, we again, we want to thank you. Praise you, Lord. As you said it best, come to me all who labor, who are heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's from Matthew 11. I don't know where you're at with Christ today. If you're tired of trying, trying to earn it, there's nothing you could do. It's already been given to you. All you have to do is take out your hand and receive it. And he gives it to you. Amazing grace and with joy because he wants to call you his own. Sons and daughters of God. So Heavenly Father, Lord, you know every heart here. You know who we are what we're trying to do, how we're trying to live for you, be holy. But God, even living for you is by grace. Our sanctification is by grace, just as our salvation has been. So for that, Lord, we want to say thank you and praise you. And everyone said?